Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great pleasure to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Shireen Al-Adimi, who is originally from Yemen and is an assistant professor of education at Michigan State University. She co-authored a recent article at In These Times titled, Trump Quietly Overrides What Little Civilian Protections Remain in Yemen War. Shireen Al-Adimi, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. So, uh, as I recall things, there was a minor scandal when George W. Bush was found to be declaring his intentions to ignore various parts of laws when he signed them into law. And there was a very, very minor scandal when Barack Obama, who had campaigned against that practice, announced that he would continue it and would, in addition, silently rely on past signing statements without even telling us he was doing so. What has been the response now that President Trump is engaging in the very same unconstitutional practice? Well, there's been no scandal, minor or otherwise. Uh, we've not heard about this, about uh, Trump's intention to ignore all the statutes and all the provisions that were included in this uh, signing of the defense bill. So, um, again, and I, this is not surprising, I think, given how little the U.S. and the media has been covering, uh, mainstream sources have been covering this war in Yemen. People don't even know that we're involved in Yemen, let alone pay attention to, um, you know, the uh, Trump's threats to um, to ignore the stipulations that were put in there about Yemen, but he also, um, you know, has has threatened to ignore other stipulations. For example, the uh, closing of Guantanamo Bay and whatnot. Um, but you know, I think there's a lot of attention on other things related to Trump this time around, and not so much um, some of this dangerous language that he's used in the signing statement. Right. Presidents are supposed to sign something into law and obey it or veto it, right? And these guys, uh, including the past three presidents on Guantanamo, uh, to take one particular example, all three of them have signed bills into law and said, I'm going to ignore that bit, right? Uh, So what, on the, the recent National Defense Authorization Act, what related to Yemen did did Trump say he was going to feel free to ignore? So I should first start saying by saying that these provisions uh, weren't going to stop the slaughter in Yemen. Uh, I, I wrote a piece about them, you know, kind of talking about some of the loopholes that they themselves contained. Uh, but they were provisions nonetheless, and they were put together by Congress people and senators who were opposed to this war from the beginning. And they include um, statements that would uh, have prevented funding from this defense bill to go toward, for example, mid-air refueling. We know that the U.S. is involved in mid-air refueling of Saudi jets, um, thereby enabling them to stay in the air much longer and to conduct these bombing campaigns much longer than they would have otherwise. But this, uh, there, there were provisions put in there saying that the U.S. cannot do that um, unless there was some kind of national security, security interest involved in there. And, of course, it also gave the Secretary of State um, the permission to just waive these provisions. So they were weak to begin with, but uh, what Trump did is just, you know, just ignored them altogether or threatened to ignore them altogether. 
isn't even including the possibility that there could be a national, I assume the nation would be the United States, national security interest uh, in helping Saudi Arabia bomb Yemen. Isn't that kind of a giveaway that uh, that these people are just going to lie about it and proceed? I mean, how could there possibly be a national... This country posed a threat to no one. I mean, it's not even capable of defending itself, let alone wage war on a country like Saudi Arabia or the United States. Uh, and I think it also contradicts Congress's previous actions. Some members of Congress have tried previously to twice invoke the War Powers Resolution, and um, Congress passed a bill saying that the U.S. is at war in Yemen without congressional approval. But then here we go, and we create these uh, provisions that do allow good air refueling under certain circumstances. Uh, and again, it's preposterous to think, you know, Congress should either stand against the U.S. involvement in any kind of way or, or you know, not be clear about where they stand rather than include these provisions, which they then uh, allow for, uh, you know, caveats, which would allow for them to just be ignored anyway. Well, wasn't there also language that said uh, that there, there must be minimizing of harm to civilians while bombing people's towns in Yemen? I mean, how? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure how one would do that. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's just sufficient for the Saudi-led coalition to say, uh, yes, we're taking measures and we follow international law, which is what they've been saying. So, for example, the school bus bombing on August uh, 9th, I believe, uh, where 44 children were killed, the Saudi Arabians said, yep, we targeted that bus. And even though the kids in the bus were in summer school and they were between the ages of 6 to 11, uh, the Saudi coalition's official statement stated that, you know, we follow international law and that these uh, the people inside the bus were launching missiles into Saudi Arabia and they got what they deserved. Uh, and so, you know, is that sufficient then for the U.S. to say, yep, that's good enough, uh, they're following international law because they've been operating with impunity. We wouldn't be here today if the Saudis and the Emiratis haven't been operating with impunity and with cover from the United States and the U.N. and other countries as well who have been participating in this war. So, so under the under the limitations that that Trump found uh, too onerous and announced he would feel free to ignore, that might have been good enough for Saudi Arabia to say yes, we had good reason to blow up a a bus full of little boys. Well, the language is vague. They just said that you know if they're showing that they're taking certain certifications required for um, uh, preventing civilian harm and. Uh, of course, the Secretary of State could also issue a waiver to allow mid-air refueling for security reasons. Um, so, yeah, they were weak to begin with, and they allowed the continuation. In, in, in essence, they green-lighted these, uh, uh, these missions, the refueling missions, even if, you know, in essence, they were trying to prevent this. So it's very confusing. It's probably part of this, you know, negotiation that takes place in Congress among senators who really want to end this war and those who don't. Um, but it's been very frustrating. You know, we're speaking with Shireen Aladimi, whose recent article in In These Times was called Trump Quietly Overrides What Little Civilian Protections Remain in the Yemen War. Uh, Shireen, I, I had very strange, very mixed reaction when I saw that story of a bus full of children being being blown up and there being video of the children just before they're being murdered uh, because uh, obviously I thought it was horrible, uh, but I also thought 
isn't this kind of a rare opportunity to show people the victims of a war and say, look, here's a, here's a emotional reason why you have to stop it. The way that, that, that videos of racist police shootings in the United States, for example, have brought something that was, that was known about and happening into people's consciousness through, through video. Uh, is, isn't this rather rare to have this sort of footage that you can show people of, of innocent victims of war? Well, yeah, I think, in, and perhaps this is why that particular um, bombing really captured uh, people's attention here in the U.S. And, you know, CNN went and did an investigation about where this bomb came from, and they traced it back to Lockheed Martin. Well, yes, you know, Yemenis have been doing these investigations and showing pictures of these bombs for years now. And we know that they, most of them, trace back to the United States, Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, and so on. Um, but, you know, there was this spotlight on Yemen, a very rare spotlight, unfortunately. Despite this not even being the most, um, you know, casualty-heavy crime, uh, you know, airstrike, unfortunately, uh, there was a bombing of a wedding that killed 40 people. There was a bombing years ago of a, of a funeral that killed 140 people. And these bombings occur on a daily basis. But like you said, we not only saw, and we have footage of the aftermath, but this time we not only saw the gruesome footage of the aftermath and, and parents really, you know, desperately looking for their children among bodies, but we also saw these kids as they were alive. We saw them, you know, excited, and one of them was filming. We saw them uh, being cheerful and excited about this field trip, which the sad thing is the field trip was to a cemetery. You know, that's another one of those uh, devastating impacts of the war, that there's no green spaces left. Uh, and also a lot of these kids have lost many family members in the war. So, you know, we saw them as they were living, and then an hour later they were bombed, and we see these bodies. So I think it's a very, um, you know, interesting and very tragic um, that they've gone through this. But for us to have that footage, like you said, is, is rare, and it's a, it's a rare opportunity for people to really see the impact of this war on Yemeni civilians. But it seems that the spotlight has dimmed already, that it hasn't lasted or been as, as bright as, as I had hoped. Uh, is, there, is there something we can do to make people uh, and make media outlets uh, pay more attention, uh, air this sort of footage uh, the number of times they would if it were, you know, some Washington sex scandal or something that they really wanted us to know about? Well, yeah, I think the media should be held accountable because people only really find out about these things when they turn on CNN and Fox News and MSNBC and so on. Uh, but they haven't been told about these stories. They haven't been, and when they're told about these stories, they're not told about the impact, um, as it, about the role of the United States in this conflict. The so CBS has ran this, uh, you know, 13-minute segment on the blockade last late last year, and not once did they mention that the U.S. party to this uh, to these crimes that the U.S. is part of this. Saudi-led coalition, uh, and that we are the bad guys, really, in Yemen. And so, um, and I think when people find out about it, they do something about it. So there's hopefully an increased awareness in, you know, people's agency to uh, to, uh, to end this war through legal means. And I think a lot of Yemenis are resting their hopes on the average American citizen, uh, citizen who sees these crimes, who sees that these are committed in their name, and who's revolted by them, and who then contacts their senator or their congressperson and urges them to introduce resolutions or support resolutions out there that would extricate the United States from, um, from the war in Yemen. 
you mentioned that other bombings where we didn't have the same sort of sort of video footage had higher casualties. Uh, there's also a, a cholera epidemic, a famine. I mean, what is the what is the general picture of the of the damage of this war thus far? Well, the UN says that this is the world's worst humanitarian crisis, and for us to stop and think about what that means, you know, for the average person living in Yemen. Um, Cholera has, uh, you know, the worst outbreak in modern history was over a million people who were infected, 1.1 million people uh, infected um, since April 2017. And the cure for cholera is, you know, rehydrating with clean water. People are dying of cholera because they don't have access to clean water. They're getting sick in the first place because they're drinking contaminated water and then they're not being uh, treated because of the facilities. They're just not there. Um, when When we think about how many people have been killed, uh, the number that's been reported is 10,000, but um, more recent reports are showing that, you know, tens of thousands of people have been killed, mostly by airstrikes, and that number is closer to 50,000 people. Um, and and I think the biggest killer of all is the starvation. You know, the blockade is preventing aid and money and, and food to come into the country on a regular basis. And also, people just can't afford what little food is entering the country because, you know, the war has just devastated everything, every aspect of life. And so uh, in 2013, or sorry, in 2016 and 2017 alone, um, there were 113,000 children who died from malnutrition and preventable diseases. So these numbers are really staggering. People are, you know, a child can die from a simple bacterial infection because they can't have, they don't have access to an antibiotic or, you know, a viral infection or just, you know, anything really that we take for granted here a child in Yemen will die from because of the impact of this war. Yeah, I, I'm recalling now that there was reporting uh, just recently uh, about the extent to which the, the Saudis and the United States are uh, both fighting against al-Qaeda in this war and teaming up with uh, and funding and arming and working on the same side as al-Qaeda in this war, somewhat similar to uh, the mess in Syria. Does, does Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so so here's the irony. On the one hand, America under Obama, largely under Obama, launched this drone warfare in Yemen where they were targeting people based on suspicion uh, of being part of al-Qaeda. And on the other hand, we have them working hand-in-hand since the beginning of this war. Uh, the BBC and Frontline documented al-Qaeda working alongside the Saudi-led coalition, of which we were part. And more recent reports have documented, you know, this, these deals that the UAE and Saudi Arabia do with um, with Al Qaeda, where they, if they want to take over a certain part of Yemen, because they share territory in South Yemen with Al Qaeda, but if they want to have a PR stint and say that we've captured this area from Al Qaeda, then they'll just go and they'll pay the money to move to another area. And Yemenis have known this for a long time. Yemeni reporters have been reporting on this for since, since it started happening uh, a couple years ago, but um, we're now seeing documentation by AP and and others um, of the extent of it. And so, yeah, we are essentially working on the same side of al-Qaeda in Yemen. Well, I'm not, but you're using we to mean the U.S. military, and I, I guess it is. I, I, I think the 
you know, the propaganda value of Al-Qaeda is, is tremendous in the United States. You tell people you're fighting a war against Al-Qaeda, you would think the reverse would be true. When people find out that the United States is on the same side as Al-Qaeda, they would turn against the war. It, it, have you found that to be the case, or do people just get confused and, and block the, the whole subject out of their minds? I mean, that part of, of, uh, of uh, that part of the war is not being reported as extensively. Um, now people are starting to become aware that these are U.S. weapons that were targeting the children and that killed the children. Um, but it's still not in mainstream consciousness that the U.S. is on the same side of Al-Qaeda in Yemen. And I think, um, you know, people don't want to see their country or these things happening in their name. And people I've spoken to certainly are repulsed by it and um, and, and try to contact their Congress people and, and, um, and senators to, to get them to act about, you know, essentially this is not a call for for any kind of intervention, we want people to end the intervention and foreign intervention, uh, but it's driven them to at least make that contact and to feel like this should not be happening. Uh, but it's just still not in, in this um, in mainstream consciousness. Yeah, I, I watched a, I watched a few minutes uh, from the floor of the Senate where Senator Chris Murphy of of Connecticut. Uh, was trying to introduce an amendment to the Appropriations Act to uh, e effectively cut off money for Trump going ahead with anything in violation uh, of the law, which would seem to make sense. If Congress is going to pass a law, the president is going to say, I plan to ignore that. Uh, Congress certainly ha ought to have the right to say, well, not with any money. Uh, and, and Senator Shelby replied, no, we don't want that to be part of the National Defense Appropriations Act. We want to do that in separate legislation. Does, is there anyone on earth who thought for a second that he meant that, that he has some plan to do it in separate legislation? Uh, what, uh, I mean, and, and assuming he doesn't, what options remain to, to senators who want to do something? Well, um, Senator Shelby's uh, biggest donor is uh, Boeing, I believe, and the second biggest donor in the 2016 campaign was uh, Lockheed Martin. Lockheed Martin uh, provided the bomb that just killed the 44 children in Yemen. Um, and so none of this is surprising. It all comes down to who's making what, you know, how much are people making out of this war um, and out of these uh, relationships with these big uh, defense companies. And so, no, I don't think anything will happen. Just like when they tabled uh, SJ Res uh, 54 back in March, this was introduced. It was a bipartisan uh, bill that invoked the War Powers Resolution, and it was introduced by Bernie Sanders and um, a Republican senator. I forget his name now, but he said, oh, let's table this. Let's vote to table it, and we'll think about this later. This deserves its own time. Uh, and most of the Senate voted to table it. Uh, of course, nothing's happened since then. So, no, the, they're not just going to pick this back up. Um, and I think uh, the Congress people who are, and senators who are truly against U.S. involvement should be much more uh, ferocious in trying to introduce these law-binding uh, legislations that would end U.S. involvement in Yemen. Senator Murphy has been a great uh, vocal advocate of, um, you know, ending the U.S.'s role in Yemen, but then he went and voted for this defense bill um, that was signed early in, earlier this month. So yeah. there's some confusing, and Ted Lieu similarly has said that we're, these look like war crimes and we're participating in them, but then he went and, uh, as well and agreed to this defense bill. 
um, that contain these weak provisions that we spoke about earlier. I, I thought some people found it even slightly encouraging that that vote and the debate that preceded it even happened early this year in the Senate, in that such a thing has, has happened before in the House under the War Powers Resolution, but never before in the Senate. And it was, you know, it was only a, a bit more than a majority of the senators who voted for what <laughs> their colleagues were explaining to them explicitly was a horrific, counterproductive, genocidal, criminal act. Uh, do you think that, that anything has changed so that if such a vote could be forced again, uh, there might be the, the, the chance of it going the right way? Well, I was less hopeful back in March when this discussion happened because going into the debate, there were 14 co-sponsors of the bill, and they didn't end up voting on the bill itself. They voted to table it. And so 44 senators voted not to table the bill. It doesn't mean that they voted to end U.S. involvement in the Yemen war. Uh, I would have liked to see how many would have actually had the question been, you know, the bill been presented as is, I, I'd really like to see, you know, would there be an increase in the number of senators who would say, um, yeah, we want the U.S. to not be involved in this war in Yemen anymore, which is why I think it's worthwhile to continue to re-invoke these uh, war powers resolutions, frankly, as long as, as many times as it takes, because as we're speaking, civilians are dying, and they're dying with our weapons, with our capabilities, with our intelligence, with our refueling capabilities, um, you know, and so... We are causing so much harm uh, to this country that I, I think the least we could do here for people who are against this war is to try to continuously, um, you know, invoke. Uh, the more they talk about it in Congress, hopefully the better outcomes would be. It, it seems, though, that the very best spokespeople in, in the Senate and the House on this subject and similar subjects uh, talk exclusively about the need for Congress to vote on the war and Congress to legally authorize or reject a war. But I can't fathom any way in which this could be legal under the UN Charter or under the Kellogg-Briand Pact. Uh, I think if if Yemen were bombing the United States, there's not a single senator who would care whether it was a Yemeni uh, president or a Yemeni legislature behind it. Uh, they would simply see it as a crime. Uh, and so I wonder about all this talk about properly bombing Yemen without war crimes. Uh, isn't the entire thing a crime? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, I was on a radio show um, uh, earlier last week uh, with Stephen Rapp, who is former U.S. ambassador for war crimes issues and uh, former chief prosecutor at the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda. And um, he recently wrote a piece called uh, Time for a Reckoning in Yemen, and he spoke about the fact that people have been prosecuted for war crimes for just being uh, providing support to countries that were committing war crimes. They didn't have to know about it. Uh, they, didn't, they don't have to know that these war crimes are happening. They just have to provide, uh, they just have to have, uh, you know, provided substantial aid to the people who are committing war crimes. And so he said, uh, unfortunately, the U.S. doesn't have, nobody has any jurisdiction over the U.S. There's no ICC jurisdiction over the U.S. or any of the countries involved in bombing Yemen. But had there been jurisdiction, they could definitely be tried for war crimes, given what they're doing in Yemen. 
uh, the ICC has claimed to be investigating U.S. war crimes in Afghanistan, whether you believe it or not, uh, on the grounds that Afghanistan is a member of the ICC and therefore there's jurisdiction to go after the United States in Afghanistan. Uh, is Yemen not a member of the International Criminal Court and might it make sense to consider quickly becoming one? Um, I'm, I'm actually not sure. I can't remember if Hadi, uh, Hadi's, um, President Hadi has stayed in the ICC or not. Um, but, um, you know, that if, if somebody has jurisdiction um, over these war crimes, I mean, certainly people have been committing them left, right, and center in Yemen, UAE, Saudi Arabia, and the U.S. Uh, through the support which it provides these countries. Yeah. It, 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 but getting back to... Trump openly uh, ignoring laws passed by Congress uh, while engaged in uh, a criminal enterprise that's, that's illegal under treaties the United States is party to, even if his predecessor was doing the very same thing uh, on, a, uh, on a different scale. Uh, how is that not quintessentially an impeachable offense? Uh, and if Congress can't stop the president uh, and won't cut off the money. Uh, I mean, how could there be better grounds than that for Congress impeaching and removing a president that won't comply with the law? You know, I'm just not sure really what Congress is doing. The defense bill passed 359 to 54 um, in, in, in the House and 87 to 10 in the Senate. So they passed overwhelmingly and very quickly. Um, and, you know, Elizabeth Warren was one of 10 senators who had voted against it, and she recently asked for clarification about the U.S.'s role. Well, how much more clarification do we need? How much more evidence do we need that the U.S. is involved in Yemen, that the U.S. is providing uh, support to the Saudi-led military, which is committing uh, egregious war crimes? I mean, um, there's just no question about the extent of U.S. involvement in Yemen. The, the, the Army brags about it and posts you know, tweets about how much involvement uh, they have with the Saudi-led coalition in Yemen. And so um, I just am not sure that Congress can just continue to issue these, you know, challenges or whatnot when they go on and then vote for these uh, bills. Um, I think if they really are serious about ending the war on Yemen, they would. Um, and the war through legal means. Um, and if they're serious about impeachment, they would follow through with some of these um um, moves, but uh, I'm just not seeing, I just don't know if, if it's just all political games um, or if people are really serious about ending it. So what can people in the United States and in the other 96% of humanity who care about blowing up busloads full of little children and and creating epidemics of famine and cholera and violence do uh, should uh, are there international bodies that can do anything it, it can should nations uh, and groups and organizations around the world be uh, boycotting divesting and from and sanctioning the united states and saudi arabia uh, what what can be attempted i mean uh, that's ideal but i don't think it would ever happen because the un acknowledges that the saudis have the right to intervene in yemen uh, and they've treated um, Saudi with, you know, with a lot of care because they get a lot of money from Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has previously threatened to pull funding from the UN when they put them on the list of child killers, and then Saudi, you know, or the UN pulled them out of the list of child killers. 
when the when they were attacking Hodeida uh, a couple months ago, they told the UN said no, do not attack Hodeida. This is a red line. Saudi said no, we'll attack it anyway. And this, this, the UN pulled all of its uh, staff from the city. So they just kind of go whichever way uh, Saudi Arabia, you know, decides. And so uh, there's, I don't think there's hope for Yemenis with this, with international organizations like the UN. Um, Certainly, the U.S. has been providing cover for them in the, at the U.N., and even when countries have attempted to, um, you know, put forth uh, proposals for independent investigations, there's been pushback, and every time the Saudis are essentially allowed to investigate their own crimes. And, of course, they then go on and absolve themselves from these crimes. Um, but I think we just have to look at the reality that a lot of people are making a lot of money from this uh, war in Yemen, and so citizens really have to... Um, you know, challenge the the people representing them in their government, uh, whether here or in Canada or the UK, uh, and and you know, challenge this notion that we're making money out of dead children. Yeah. Uh, and when 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 is that going to end? Well, it only ends when the U.S. pulls all of its support to the Saudi-led coalition. The Saudi-led coalition will not stop. This is an eagle fight for them. Emiratis won't stop, and so. Uh, but because they don't manufacture their own weapon, they don't advise their own soldiers, they don't have their own mid-air refueling, they don't have their own targeting, um, they rely on the U.S. for all of these um, services, uh, the only hope really is to end this war uh, is for the U.S. and other countries to pull, uh, to end their support of the Saudi-led coalition. Very well said. Wish we could go on. Shirin Al-Adimi, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you so much for having me. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.